0: We will be considering Belgic Confession, Article Twelve, and our Scripture reading will be from Job, Chapter Forty, Verse Fifteen to through the end of Chapter Forty-One. If you'd like to turn there now, it's found on page four four hundred and forty-four of your four hundred and forty-five of your pew Bibles. We don't often get to read from the Book of Job. Um, it's one of the more difficult books in the Bible to preach through, not just because of its length, but also because of its complexity. So uh, it's a joy, I think, for us to hear from it and to see the rich doctrine that it gives us concerning God. It, it, it's, a do- it's a book that's really, really and truly speaking, very rich in the way that it lays out who God is and what he's like. And we'll apply a few of the points Job makes to the teaching of the Belgic Confession this evening. Job chapter 40, beginning in verse 16, 15. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins, and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God, let him who made him bring near his sword, for the mountains yield food for him, where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plant he lies in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh, for his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened, he is confident, though, though the Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Can you draw out Leviathan with a fishhook? or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose, or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons, or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who stands before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole of heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a, steel, a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each, they clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the, sh- the eyelids of dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him, and immovable. His heart is hard as stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he arises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, <clears throat> for him slings, sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He shreds himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth, there is not, like, not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, if you'll turn to Belgic Confession, Article 12, And uh, before we read this, let us pray. Father, as your servant John declared, we cannot dwell in darkness if we walk in the light. And so we ask that as we consider the dynamics of your creative acts, uh, that you would illumine our hearts and that you would lead us to be in awe of the light of your power, wisdom, and might in creation and in providence. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Belgic Confession, Article 12. We believe that the Father created heaven and earth and all other creatures from nothing when it seemed good to him by his word, that is to say, by his Son. He has given all creatures their being, form, and appearance and their various functions for serving their creator. Even now, he also sustains and governs them all according to his eternal providence and by his infinite power that they may serve man in order that man may serve God. He also created the angels good, that they might be his messengers and serve his elect. Some of them have fallen from the excellence in which God created them into eternal perdition, and others have persisted and remained in their original state by the grace of God. The devils and evil spirits are so corrupt that they are enemies of God and of everything good. They lie in wait for the church and every member of it, like thieves with all their power, to destroy and spoil everything by their deceptions. So then, by their own wickedness, they are condemned to everlasting damnation, daily awaiting their torments. For that reason, we detest the error of the Sadducees, who deny that there are spirits and angels, and also the error of the Manichaeans, who say that the devils originated by themselves, being evil by nature, without having been corrupted. So in keeping with Reverend Smith's development, we have an introductory statement on the outline before you that briefly summarizes uh, Belgic Confession Article 12. We believe that God created out of nothing, literally speaking, all things, including spiritual beings, such as angels. We believe that God created out of nothing, literally speaking, all things, including spiritual beings, such as angels. And we're going to go through this uh, very briefly in three ways. You'll notice that the Belgic Confession has three primary sections. It addresses first the creation of all things, or the cre- creation in general. And then it, it, it addresses God's providence over creation and the purpose for which he created it. And then you'll notice that he addresses the question of non-material beings or spiritual beings like angels and demons. So number one concerning Creation. Before creation, only God was until he created all things according to his good pleasure. This leads us to letter A. We often speak about, this fancy term here, the aseity of God, which means that he is, the word aseity, means that he is from himself. He is independent from creation and preexistent to creation itself. Now, Strictly speaking, God does not exist in the same way that we exist. He simply is, He was, and He always will be. The fact that He has life in and of Himself and from Himself means that unlike all other things within creation, He does not depend on anything else for His being or His, quote-unquote, isness. So to affirm then that God the Father, through the Word, His Son, Creator, all things that do, do exist, is to also affirm something about our experience and our existence. We are dependent upon his being. His life, the life that he has in himself, is the foundation of all of creation. One passage that affirms this in particular is Acts chapter 17. We'll read just verse 24 and 25, although the entire section is appropriate to prove this point. Then God, who made the world and everything in it, Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 28 will say, In you we live and move and have our being. Letter B. We believe that God acted to create all things at the proper time according to the counsel of his will, for the purpose of giving him glory. We'll look at number one there. In this, we affirm three things. God's direct involvement in creation through the Son, his wisdom as to when he created, and that his purpose was his own glory. Again, in this we affirm three things. God's direct involvement within creation through the Son, his wisdom as to when he created, and his purpose being for his own glory. I want to now consider a few texts that address each one of those points in order. So first, his involvement in creation. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, Through him all things were made, and without him was nothing made that has been made. Of course, there, John, in that familiar opening of his gospel, is speaking about the word that was with God in the beginning and the word's particular involvement in creation. But in this, he displays the way that the triune, impersonal God was personally and directly involved in creation. He is engaged Father, Son, and Spirit. Second, his wisdom within creation so 1 Corinthians 2:16 who has known the mind of the lord that he may instruct him well this passage like many others in the scriptures indicate to us the wisdom of god that the when is perfectly suitable according to the counsel of his will that is when he decided to create all things which is technically a, a conundrum if you're to think about it because technically speaking whenness didn't exist yet until God created whenness because God is not bound by time. He's outside of time. And so really we have to default to the, the conclusion, who are we to question the mind of the Lord? Who are we to question his wisdom, his counsel, uh, and his knowledge and understanding? And then finally, that his purpose is for his own glory. We're looking here at 1 Corinthians 8.6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things And for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now, here he says that all things, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. So the argument here would be an argument from the greater to the lesser. The inference here is if God created the crown of creation, those that he imbued with his own image, to give him glory, to serve him, and to magnify his name, then even the tiniest of things within creation are intended for this purpose also. Another passage which verifies this truth is Romans chapter 1, verse 20, when it declares that his invisible power and attributes and divine nature are perceived in creation itself. Why? Because they were created to give testament to his glory, his might, and his power. Letter C. We believe that God created all things with intricacy and artistry. The Belgic says, He has given all creatures their being, their form, their appearance, and their various functions. To revert once more to Job, in chapter 10, verse 10 to 11, he says this Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. The point here of verse 11, the question that Joel asks, did you pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, is to ask kind of a rhetorical question that's going to be negated by the following sentence. Actually, no, it wasn't just kind of pouring out and, and stirring and mixing together and hoping something awesome came about. God was intricately, intentionally, specifically, in wisdom, knowledge creative beauty and, and power cr- weaving together the fabric of creation and the, the, the interplay of all things. He wasn't clumsy and he wasn't careless. I had a, a geology professor in college. I didn't, I, this was a, just one class I had to take. And he was an old saint in the OPC, an elder, uh, a dearly beloved saint. But he wasn't always a Christian. It wasn't It wasn't until his doctoral studies later in life as he came to study creation and become intimately aware of rocks of all things and tectonic plates and the nature of the earth itself that he was converted to God because he couldn't help but be amazed at the intricacy and beauty of creation. This is, of course, also something that the psalmist extols. Look at the heavens. Look at the stars. I can't help but wonder at you the psalmist exclaims in chapter 8. This is also very contrary to the Greek notion of God as kind of carelessly stitching together the world and living beings. No, God intentionally created things to be beautiful, to be intricate, to be complex. And finally, number two, concerning providence. I shouldn't say finally, just number two. We believe that God maintains and governs all creation to serve man in order that man might serve God. We believe that God maintains and governs all of creation to serve man in order that man might serve God. Letter A. This shows us that God did not merely create and then leave things to their own accord, but is intimately involved in the turning of the tides, the changing of the seasons, and the activities of all living things. He is intimately involved. So it's not like one of those little, old, old little children's toys where you pull the, pull the string, wind it up, and just let it go. He's involved in the paths that, that, that we take. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heavens of heaven's, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the hosts of heavens worship you. God is, properly speaking, acting and preserving all things, intimately involved and engaged, observing with his hand in each and every millimeter of creation. Letter B. God does this by his infinite power, which Job appropriately displays by showing that God can tame and subdue Behemoth and Leviathan. God does this by his infinite power, which Job displays by showing that God can tame and subdue Behemoth and Leviathan. What are Behemoth and Leviathan? I know that that's maybe a difficult text to listen to. What's going on here? Did you notice the way that he exalted these creatures? that all men tremble before them. The, 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 Le- the Leviathan's scales on his back have no breach in their armor. These are like the modern day Frankenstein or Loch Ness mom- monster, the vampires or werewolves or whatever mystical creatures that we believe are imbued with extraordinary power and that are impossible to defeat. These are mythical beasts They're the most mythical and powerful beings that man can think of, that man can conceive of, and even of them, Job is declaring, God exercises and maintains power over to subdue, to tame, and to direct direct their ways. This leads us to letter C. Because all creation was plunged into sin and guilt, we see God guarantee this intimate involvement in governing and preserving creation following the flood in his covenant with Noah. This is number one. This concept is what we call common grace. It means that God, though he does not have to, graciously restrains the effects of the fall within creation. In other words, God was not obligated to preserve creation and an environment in which man can live and come to saving faith, but he, pr- he freely does so in his covenant with Noah. In that covenant, though it is not, strictly speaking, redemptive, he first declares that every living creature is delivered into the hands of men and that every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. He declares that in Genesis chapter 9. So creation in this covenant that God makes with Noah is thus purposed once again to serve mankind. Secondly, not only does he purpose creation to serve man, but he also promises to refrain, or or restrain rather, the effects of sin and his judgment from coming against creation. The purpose, like that which he did in the fall, the purpose of that being that there would be an environment, a world in which the redemptive plan of God could go forth, in which his people would come to saving faith. So recap. Because of God's common grace, he acts providentially over creation, restraining the effects of the fall and causing creation itself to serve mankind's good. Letter D. God's purpose in this providential care over creation, aka common grace, serves His plan of redemption to reconcile a people to himself by preserving a world in particular in which the gospel may advance and his people may be saved and give him glory, laud and honor. Second Corinthians chapter nine, several verses in this passage speak on this, verses eight and 10 and 11, 10 to 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all contentment in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every day, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now Paul is, of course, speaking here in this second of this section of Second Corinthians, about the ties that the, the Christian church gives, about a cheerful giver. And as he's doing so, he's actually speaking about the advance of the gospel and the ministry of the deacons to the poor, the weak, and the needy. And so in short, the way he provides for us has then a definite purpose. Paul is, in that section, illuminating the way that God provides for the elect and the end to which that serves. It's the advancing of the plan of the gospel in the hearts of men that they might glorify God and give thanks to Him. Paul goes on to state that there also, that for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So it's actually working towards His praise. It's working towards His glory in the way that He provides for us. And this leads us finally to the third point concerning spiritual beings. We believe that God created out of nothing spiritual beings, even those that fell. This is a really interesting point, I think, for the Belgic Confession to pick up on. We really haven't had too many controversies within the Reformed tradition concerning our doctrine of angels and demons Uh, And the Bible is interesting on this topic as well because it doesn't have a full and expansive history that it provides us of the history and origin of angelic and demonic beings. It doesn't sit down and give an expansive teaching on the subject systematically as Paul does on, say, something like justification in Romans. It is also perhaps likely that the subject as a whole is not spoken of extensively within reform circles yet, although I'm sure those days will come. But it does give us enough information. Scripture does give us enough information. The Reformers were clear enough uh, for us to know something about what we believe concerning this subject. So letter A, God did indeed create non-material spiritual beings, designing them to serve the elect. Designing them to serve the elect. So we know them to be immaterial and without bodies as spiritual beings, because of Jesus' remarks in Luke chapter 24, verses 39. There he says, See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, touch me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Number one, under point A, God's crowning glory, that is, the reality that we are imbued with God's image and honor in creation, is mankind, not the angel's. We witness evidence of this in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Mankind is really God's crowning jewel within all of creation, his holy, the, the, the holiest thing that he made. We are set apart from creation to be his unique image bearers in a way that angels are not. And so God works to serve us through the angels. Number two, under point A, angels' purpose is to serve mankind and minister to them on behalf of God. We see evidence of that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, where the author refers to them as ministering spirits to the elect. Number two, some of them have fallen and thus become enemies of God, seeking to undo his church, and are thus destined for condemnation. We find this in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, darkness to be kept until judgment. <clears throat> Jude, verse 6, also makes a similar note, indicating that they had positions of authority, but left those positions and abandoned them. Letter C, finally. Contrary to some teachings, God did not create devils corrupt, but they became corrupt they became corrupt. He created them good. The mere fact that it says in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, when they sinned, infers that prior to their crimes they were uncorrupted and without sin or rebellion. Moreover, it is impossible for God to create an evil being, which seems to be the point that the Catechism is laboring to show in its final remarks against heresies. It seeks in this way by affirming that the Even the demons and devil was created good to affirm and and defend God's being as displayed and as discussed in his creative acts. And all of this then should really lead us to praise and to magnify, if the Belgic is right, if scripture is right, which it is, then the purpose of our discussion this evening and our coverage of his creative acts and his providential care is to lead us to magnify his name for his wisdom, his power, and his might in creation. This is the God who in Christ calls us sons of the living God, the God who created all things, who by his power and by his might sustains all things, who serves us by ministering to us through the spirits. That is the God who calls us sons. And that's good news. Will you pray with me? Our great God and Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise for your creative acts and for your providential care in our lives that you so Care for the birds of the air and, the, and clothe the lilies of the field that you care for the needs of your people that we might do that which we were created to do, to praise you. What joy is that? What glory is that? Father, this we bring before you in Jesus' name. Amen.